mother-in-law's, um, what I would call a North American wedding tour. <laughs> and uh, every life stage actually presents opportunities to understand the truths about the Bible and the, the nature of God. You know, I've presided over countless uh, wedding ceremonies. And, and, and all of them are beautiful and celebratory events. But June 30th, when I was able to preside over um, Matthew and Emma's wedding, you know, I was thinking, what I was thinking inside, first of all, was don't cry because you got to deliver this message. But, but secondly, what I was thinking is that it tr this is what it must feel like for a father to see his beloved son be united with, with his beautiful bride. I mean, that, that, that's the picture of God, right? Of Jesus and the church. It's the joy of a heavenly father that he would do anything and everything to prepare for this momentous event. And I tell you, as we were dancing and celebrating together in Saskatchewan, I really kind of understood how this one event, this union of a, of, of a father's son and a beautiful bride will, will actually be the centerpiece of, of the, the, the greatest event in all of history, that all of history is leading up to this one celebration when, when Jesus will be reunited uh, with his, will, will be united with his church, with his people uh, forever and celebrate uh, this, this wedding in heaven, that that's what heaven is pictured as. And as you might know, uh, many of the commonalities that Matthew and Emma together share is their heart for those affected by disabilities. And, and the wedding reception and the wedding was especially prepared for those honored guests, families, and individuals who normally would miss out um, on these type of festivities. And, and again, as I sat back and, and, and watched what was happening, you know, watching uh, Matthew and Emma uh, on the center stage with, with those uh, that, with disabilities, dancing with them, and I, I felt like this, this, this is really what heaven will be like. I mean, I actually get to see it. There's, there's a sense of the celebration where, where God invites, you know, the weak, the infirm, the, the rejected, and the forgotten, and they're allowed to dance in the, 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 the middle of the floor, celebrating with, with Jesus, uh, the king of the universe. And, 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 and that, that, that's something that just kind of really uh, was burned in my mind as, I, as we were celebrating together and to, to be able to be a father and to be able to witness those things. And even in this past week with Johnny and friends, the family camp, it's just a reminder that this is really what the church was meant to be. I mean, this is really what the world was meant to be before sin really kind of wrecked everything. But this is really what the church, what God calls us to continue to be, uh, this loving community, this very special community in a world that is broken and hurting. Now, uh, I am going to preach a sermon, don't worry. On <laughs> uh, July 4th, we celebrated our freedom and our nation. And we know that, that freedom actually is very important to us. It's, it's actually a part of our, it's ingrained into our very identity. And I have this quote here by Ronald Reagan. And he says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We do not pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Now, I really like this quote because it highlights the idea that though we live in a free country, we cannot passively assume that we always live in freedom. That living in freedom and keeping freedom must often be fought for. It must be protected. It must be passed on. 
And I believe that this is also true uh, in regards to our personal freedom in Jesus Christ. Tony Evans wrote this. He says, I'm convinced that Christians will never be truly free until we understand who we are in Christ and, and start living like who we really are. We need to get our identity back. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, just because we are free through the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we're actually always living in that freedom. Evans points out that Christian freedom is directly linked to identity, who we are in Jesus Christ. And see, here's the thing. See, when Satan, when the enemy is able to substitute our identity in Christ with something else, some other lie, then he is able to hijack the freedom that really is ours. He can enslave even an entire community uh, with, his with, with his lies about identity. For example, one of Satan's lies uh, is that you are defined by what you do. I mean, we meet a new person, what's the first question we ask? What do you do? And what do you do for a living? And we say, uh, well, I know that work is important, but that's not who I am. I mean, we will say, well, I'm an engineer, I'm a teacher, I'm a homemaker, but that's not who I am. It's, it's what I do. But it, and depending on the culture, the culture and the world attaches certain values to these occupations. And then when we say, well, I'm an engineer or I'm a, I'm a, a, a teacher, I'm this or I'm that, it, it, the, the society around us will make us feel certain ways about, you know, feel about how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our lives, uh, what we think about, our, our goals in life, because, because our our. our, our, our our identity becomes uh, enmeshed with what we do. Another lie that the way Satan hijacks our identity is, is that he defines, he says that we're defined by what we did, by what you do, what you did. Like growing up, you say, well, growing up, you know, I was always the, the troubled one. I was always the outsider. I was always the one that they said was never going to make it. And, and we start thinking that that's, you know, who I am and, and who I really am and how I need to live my life. Or maybe you were on the other side, you were the, the first and best and you always had to come out number one and you always had to be the best for your parents. You always had to be the best in class and, 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 and that becomes your identity. And then there's this pressure to say, well, now I go to college, I got to be the best. Now they go to work, I got to be the best. Now that whatever, I have to be the best. And that becomes that one thing that, that now I becomes my identity and there's so much pressure so much hurt or maybe we're that person that did that one thing in the past that everybody remembers they know about it and that's now who I am you know the past often becomes an indelible mark upon our lives not not in Jesus but in this world and sometimes the things that we have done or the mistakes that we have made or even the things that have happened to us that are not our fault, it begins to become who we are and, and it begins to determine how we feel about ourselves, our own desires, our own goals, how we treat other people. And, and the third way that Satan hijacks our identity is, is he says you're defined by how you look. You know, if you're one of the beautiful people, you know, God bless you, one of the beautiful people, but, but sometimes we say, man, that's how I have to be all the time, one of the beautiful people. Or maybe you were not one of the beautiful people. And we say, wow, that's who I am. That's how I'm treated everywhere I go. It's how people judge and determine who, who, who I am as a person. 
or maybe uh, a certain race, certain color, a certain way we dress, or even a, a physical disability, and the world already says, okay, this is you. This is who you are. And we begin to think, oh, it affects our emotions. It affects our goals. It affects our heart, our vision. It affects the way we treat others. You know, Satan really, he uses this world. He uses our culture. He uses the society to perpetuate his lies to make something so important as our identity to be defined by, by, some, by things that are so trivial, like what I do, what I have done, or how I look. And in this, he attacks one of the most important aspects of our life in Jesus Christ, and that is our freedom, the freedom that God gives us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And today, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to really fight for freedom, okay? Freedom is not just something you just enjoy and relax about. It's something you fight for. It's something you live out. It's something you pass on to others who perhaps are living in bondage and under the lies of Satan. And I've been recently reading a number of books on Christian freedom by Tony Evans, Free at Last, uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller and Bruce Wilkerson on The Secret of Lasting Forgiveness. So some of the ideas, a lot of the ideas which I'll be sharing in, in the next few weeks as we go on with this will be coming from these books. But what I'd like you to do right now is turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter, five, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. And in reverence for the word of God, let's stand together. And this is the word of God, so that no one boasts in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. This is how we should regard, you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any other human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am therefore not acquitted, but it is the Lord who judges me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now from this passage, we're going to see that the way to embrace our freedom is to live out, live out our, our new identity in Jesus Christ. See, this Jesus brand of freedom is unique because it's, it's a freedom that's not based on circumstances because circumstances always change. It's, or it's not based on the opinions of others and how people feel about it. It's based on our identity. So the first thing we want to look at is what is identity? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, Let no man boast in men. Now the word to boast here means literally to vaunt yourself over someone, to think of yourself as above or better than someone else. And in the church in Corinth, they were actually filled with a lot of conflict and struggle. And the reason for this bondage that they were experiencing was because they were finding their identity in who they associated with. For example, there's a group of people that says, we follow Apollos. You know, Apollos is a, you know, this great man of God in the church and we follow him. And another group says, oh yeah, well, well you follow Apollos, but we follow Paul. Paul's apostle, he saw, he saw Jesus on the road, and he's actually a, 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 a bona fide apostle, so we follow him. He, he discipled me. And another group will say, yeah, but you know, we just started the Cephas Club. 
the, you know, Paul's out, man. It's Cephas now. And so this is the thing. See, identity uh, in the church began to, I mean, they began to identify with just all these different things. And one thing I do want to say is when we talk about identity, identity actually is determined by birth, at birth. Um, how you view yourself um, is not what determines who you are. When you are born, that is really becomes who you are. For example, our genetic information was already encoded into our DNA when we were born. You know, it, it doesn't matter what happens to you in life. Like, I'm Harrison Chang, okay? The, I, right now, I'm Pastor Harrison. Uh, before, I was Harrison, the high school student. Uh, then I was Harrison, the Cal Bear. Then I was Harrison, the seminarian. Maybe I'll be later, I'll be Harrison, the grandfather. <laughs> But not too soon. <laughs> but regardless of the circumstances, no matter how all the circumstances change, I will always be Harrison from the moment that I was born till the day I die. That's who I am. That my identity was determined on November 4th, 1961, the very day that I was born. And now here's the cool thing. The same is true. The same is true about our identity in Christ. You notice how the Bible says that when I put my trust in Jesus as Savior, Jesus says we are born again. We have a new birth. And at our second birth actually is even more important than our first birth because our second birth not only just determines, you know, where we're going to go to heaven, which is a really good, when we go to, uh, when we pass from this, we we'll go to heaven, that's a good thing. But, but our second birth also, it determines my identity in Christ. It determines now who I am. No matter what people say about me, no matter what happens to me in this world, this is who we are now in Jesus Christ. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now again, we're talking about everyone here who's put their faith in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everyone here, that's our identity. We are a new creation in Christ. First, Second Peter 1.14 says, God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You have escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. That is who we are. Romans 8, 14 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That means in court he will stand and he will testify to this, that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That is who you are, Christian. John 1, 12. But to all who received him, meaning Jesus, and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, and not of the will of man, but of God. This is God's will, that now this is who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what I have done. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter how much money we make. It doesn't matter what college you graduated from. It doesn't matter what type of friends you have or what type of future the world says you have. I am a new creation. I am a partaker of the divine nature. You and I are children of God. And nothing in this world, nothing in this world will change that. Amen?
Amen. I know there's a church that doesn't say amen too much, but we can change that. This is our identity. This is where identity comes from. This is where God says, this is who you are. You are children of God. You are a new creation. And if anyone tries to say anything different than that, they gotta take it up with God because there is nothing that will steal or take away who you are in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You're beloved of God. You are an heir with Christ. Now we pause here and we think about the things that steal our freedom, the freedom that is ours. You know, a lot of times we say, well, fear, fear. Fear steals our freedom. We know that, right? Can you imagine what life would be like if we could overcome fear? Can you imagine the things that we would do, that I would do, if I could overcome the fear of embarrassing myself? If I could overcome the fear, if we could overcome the fear of being judged by others, the freedom that we would have? If we could overcome the fear of, of failure, of, of worrying about failing, about not being successful or being what other people expect us to be. Can you imagine what we would be if we could get rid of those fears, if we could overcome uh, uh, this, this, the fear of, of dying or, or the fear of, of what people can do to me physically? Uh, this, what does our identity in Jesus Christ say about our fears? The, the, the prodigal son, Jesus talked about this, this story of the prodigal son, and if there's anybody in the Bible who was who ruined his life, who could ruin his life more, it was the prodigal son, right? I mean, he went to his father, wasted all his wealth, rejected his father, ended up serving in a pig pen, eating pig food, and, and, and he's like, man, I've got nothing. I've totally destroyed every good thing in my life. Okay, we think we got a bad prodigal son. He, he himself chose to destroy everything in his life. But yet, what does Jesus say about him? He comes back in humble repentance, and what does his father do? Embraces him. Father's waiting for him to come home. His father just says, his father doesn't say, well, you know, he says, we're going to throw a banquet, we're going to throw a feast, and I just love you. I want to give everything that I have to show you how much I love you and how glad I am that you're home. That's what God and Jesus says about us. We don't need to fear. Can you imagine about guilt? Guilt takes away freedom. We have guilt. You know, there are times when we may not associate with people because we feel guilty, right? There may be places that we may feel like we can't go or we don't fit in because we feel guilty about something in our lives about what we have done or about how people look at us. We, we may not even be, be able to just ourselves enjoy certain things in life because why? Because we feel guilty. And, and what does my identity in Jesus Christ say about guilt? He talks, Jesus talks, uh, Jesus was in uh, Simon the Pharisee's house and there's a woman who was of ill repute and, and she wanted to wash Jesus' feet. And here she goes, she's gonna walk into this house where these guys, they don't just judge. They are experts in judging other people. They know a hundred different ways of making you feel like crap, no matter who you are. They can give you just a look. They can say just a certain thing. They can make a certain noise. And they know that you know that they think and see you as just worthless that you will never amount to anything, that you are a sinful, rejected, evil person who will never deserve the love of God. 
And, and what happens when this woman comes in feeling all this guilt and, 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 and coming into a place where more and more guilt is going to be poured upon her life, she just comes in, washes the feet of Jesus, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says to all the others who are really good at judging, he just says, shut up. He says, I want to shut you guys up, and you guys have no idea what righteousness is. You have no idea what it means to love God and what the love of God is. And God said that this woman, because she for, has been forgiven so much, that's why she loves so much. And we're going to remember her. We're going to know who she is. And, and, and this is what Jesus says about our identity. These are not just stories. This is us. That if we carry guilt and shame from this world and we're afraid to go into certain places because of what people will say and think about us, God says, hey, those guys just shut up because who you are in Jesus Christ you are one who has been forgiven you're one who never carries any guilt wherever you go because in your father's eyes you are a new creation you're totally forgiven of all your sin we can go on and on about how Jesus lifted up the pure the poor the oppressed how Jesus healed the sick uh, lifted up the lame our identity who we are in Christ is what gives us freedom that's where identity comes from. The second thing we see is we talk about um, living out our identity. What does it mean to live out our identity in Jesus Christ? How does that bring us freedom? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Because see, the, 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 uh, the Corinthians were like saying, oh, Paul, we worship you and I want to be associated with you because you're this great disciple who saw Jesus on the road. And if I'm just associated with you um, and your greatness, I'm going to be great too and blah, blah, blah. And that's what they were doing, thinking, you know, Paul's so great. You guys are so great. You're so famous. You're so loved and pleased by God. And, and this is what Paul says. Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, okay, this is how you should really regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul uses a very important concept here. And it's filled with theological and practical significance because Paul says, you should, this is how you should regard us. Now, the Greek word for regard is logizomai. It's actually a mathematical term. You can see the word logic or log or whatever, how you want to do it. I don't know. Um, it's a mathematical word, and it means to count, to collect, to put together. And what it suggests is it means examining the evidence and, and then putting together the facts and to, to begin to understand what is true. So logizomai, to regard, begins with the mind. It means to agree with a certain truth. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to the heart, meaning to accept that this is true. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Paul, it says God was with Christ. God, in reconciling Christ to the world, did not count our trespasses against us. And this means when God looks at Jesus on the cross, he now regards the righteousness of Jesus as ours. Meaning he now accepts Jesus' sacrifice and his righteousness. He accepts that as payment 
for our forgiveness. And so this is the second part of regard. It means to accept. And the third part means to act. And this is perhaps the most important, to act accordingly. This involves, uh, you know, the, the, our, our body, our everything, meaning he now treats us as his children, that he treats us as co-heirs with Christ. He acts towards us as if these truths are real. And Paul says, hey, this is your identity in Christ, but we need to regard this as true. Meaning we need to accept in our hearts that this is really what the Bible says, that we are forgiven. That we need to, to, to really uh, act in a way uh, as if our, our sins are forgiven. Act in a way as if the, the, the things that people think about are not as important as what God thinks about. And, and, and this is really what, what regard means to agree, to accept, and to act. I'll give you an example. Let's say a police officer is called to protect others. And you're a police officer, particularly in Bay Area, uh, standard issue bulletproof vest protects you, right? So you can research that vest and check out its reliability, check the demos on the testing range, on the shooting range, and your mind will agree and say, you know what? If I put that bulletproof vest on me, I think it would protect me if someone tried to shoot at me because I've watched on the shooting range they shot and they showed how it stops a bullet. So in my mind now, I agree that this actually works. And I've read all the, the uh, you know, the, 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 the descriptions on Amazon and they got all five star reviews. So it works <laughs> because we know Amazon the, is true. Um, <laughs> But the next thing we have to do is we have to accept it. I mean, even if it sits in my locker and says, I believe it's true, but I'm not putting it on, no way. No, you gotta put it on, right? You gotta put it on and say, I accept this now as something that will protect my life. So every day when I go out to work, when I step out into the street, I'm gonna put on that vest. That's accepting it now. Now, the, the final thing is you have to act accordingly. And what that means is when the time comes when you have to run out into the line of fire, when you're hiding behind your car or hiding behind a, a wall and you see someone and you know you have to run out and rescue them and call into the, run to the line of fire, you run out there believing that this vest is going to actually stop these bullets as you run out there. That's, that's regard. Okay, so God says we are a new creation. So you must believe that you are a new creation. If, you can't, if we can't believe that, we study God's word and God says you're forgiven. And God says it doesn't matter what people think about you. And God says I love you more than anything else in the world and you don't have to do anything to prove or to earn my love for you. Uh, God says that's true. And we say, okay, I believe that. I've read that in scripture. I know what that means. Well, what does it mean now? You gotta accept it. I gotta put it on every day. I gotta try to put it on every day and say when I go outside, when I meet the world, when I meet rejection, when I take risks, when I see the, the struggles and trials and try to do the right thing, that I'm going to believe that, that God loves me, that I'm doing the things that honor God, and that this is the things, these are the things that are most important in life. And then finally, we have to actually put ourselves in the crossfire. We've got to actually do something where God is going to say, you know, I, I have you covered. I, you can do this. The Bible says we, 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 we can walk through the storm we can walk through fire. We can pick up venomous stakes. We can move mountains if, a, if, it, if that's what it meant to, to, to rescue someone um, from hell. 
to free someone from bondage. I mean, that's in scripture. And, you know, again, not just picking up venomous snakes for fun. No, that's not what God promises. But he says, when the time comes, when you got to stand up in the line of fire, and you may doubt, and you may be afraid, and it's not like we have full confidence running out there saying, I'm going to, you know, just run out there. We're afraid, we're doubting, and, and we're worrying about this, but, but God says we got to, to reckon means to run out and, and really make that step of faith. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. And we've got to ask ourselves, you know, what aspect of my identity right now is, is Christ calling me to regard, to really say that this is what God wants me to do? Uh, what is that step of faith? I mean, to regard involves a step of faith. I mean, because basically, um, we will never know if God's love is enough for me until we experience the rejection from others, right? If we never go out and put ourselves out there to, to take that risk of rejection, to take that risk of hurt, to take that risk of, of, of being alone or being left alone or of failing, we will never truly understand how much the truth that God's love is enough for me in anything and in everything. You will not know if, if, if God is going to give you strength unless you go out there and take a risk, until you put those things out on the line. If we're always protecting my reputation, I'm never going to risk my reputation. I'm never going to risk embarrassment. I'm never going to risk the things that I have in this world. I'm never going to put it out there because I'm afraid. I'm just not going to do it. We will never understand what it really means to say that God, promises that he'll provide everything we need. That is a promise. It is not just a saying. It is a promise. Why? Because I'm a good person? Because I did a lot of stuff? Because I gave a lot of things away? Because I'm a good Christian? Because I go to church? No. Because you're a child of God. Because you're a child of God. That's, that's what he says. Because the moment we receive Jesus Christ, we're a child of God. That's who you are. These promises belong to us and maybe we will put things out there and we will lose them we will lose our reputation we will lose our possessions we will lose our safety net we will lose our earthly security we will lose our popularity but perhaps it'll be then when we realize that those things weren't very important in the first place that those were the things, that the very things that were actually keeping us captive. And until we let them go, it is until we let them go that we really truly find freedom in Jesus Christ. This is the promise of God. We are his children. And so the question is now, we say, what aspect of my identity in Jesus do I now need to regard by faith? What are the truths that I need to perhaps read and understand and memorize from scripture about what God says about me? If I'm struggling with fear, what are the verses that I need to know about Jesus to show that, that I have nothing to fear? 
If, if I'm worried about how people are going to view me and treat me the next day because, man, when I go to work, they're always viewing me as oh, that Christian guy who blah, 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 or whatever, or that person who's not as smart and didn't get all the degrees and whatever and things like that. And we say, what am I going to do when I go into this world that's going to treat me like that? Well, go into scripture and look at what God says about you. Look at what God says about the world and, 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 and his truth and say, I'm going to take these truths first of all and I'm going to think about them, I'm going to ponder on them and I'm going to believe, believe that they're true and next I'm going to put them on I'm really going to put them on, I'm going to live like that and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to, to be that way I'm going to be that way I'm going to live my identity in Christ I'm going to be fearless this week what thing will you do now, this week, that you would not do before because of your identity in Jesus Christ? What thing were you afraid of doing before, even in this past week, that you say, I could do now, even though I still feel afraid, even though I'm still worried, even though I may still doubt, but I will do it this week. I will do it next week because I believe that God's word is true. And I will take a step of faith out there. And even if I lose, and even if it doesn't come out exactly the way I thought it was going to come out, and even if it feels like I didn't win in this situation, um, you step out in faith, and God is going to show you more about who you are in Christ than you ever thought you knew. That's his promise. You know, Living Hope, we just came back from serving in Johnny and Friends, and we're teamed up to be encouragers, brothers and sisters, to those who are affected by autism, by CP, Down syndrome. Some of them were born with the disabilities. Some of them were given these disabilities by car accidents. And you can ask every, I was really proud of all of our team members when they went out there. Um, you can ask anyone who, who went on, on this trip and they will affirm to you that one of the greatest lessons that you will ever learn in serving those affected by disabilities is about who you are um, in the eyes of Jesus Christ. That your identity in Christ has nothing to do with how others may think of you or how others may treat you. It has nothing to do with your mental or your physical ability. It has nothing to do with the mistakes or even the achievements that you have in your past. Who you are in the eyes of God is determined by your birth. You are the child of the king. You are the child of the creator. You are the most, you are so precious that God gave his only son so that all of our sin, all of our debt, can be forgiven once and for all and he will never bring it up again he will never bring it up again and you and I are now called to the most important mission that anyone else could ever ask for and that is to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to set the captives free to set the captives free there are not just people who are enslaved physically. There are people who are enslaved spiritually by guilt, by hurt, by sin. 
And they're just one step away, one decision away from the freedom that God wants for them in Jesus Christ. And so we, we leave this place. We do not just believe it. We live. We live it out. Our freedom in Jesus Christ. We live it out tomorrow. We live it out the day after tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, every day of your life. We may not feel super confident at every time, but we live it one day at a time, the freedom that we're given because of our identity and who we are. Let's go ahead and let's, let's spend some time in quietness before our Lord right now. And maybe you're here right now and, and you are carrying a burden of guilt. Or maybe there is something that you're afraid of. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know, Pastor Harrison, if you knew me, if you knew what I did and you knew what I was like, but God knows and he loves you. He will embrace you no matter who you are and what you have done, no matter what other people think, no matter even what you may think of yourself. Our God sees you, God sees you as a precious one. 